Hi friends. Recently I preached a message in our series, We All Know Somebody, on God's providing grace for us and what God does for us in suffering. However, at the beginning of that message, we had a little technical difficulties and our recording picked up about 10 minutes into the message. And so if you would allow me, what I would love to do is to catch you up uh, in the message. So then when the video starts and you see uh, me in a different setting there on our Sunday morning worship service, you're going to know where we are in the message. So as we get started in this message on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10 about God's providing grace for us, uh, I want to just open us in prayer. Father, I thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you that uh, in our times of pain and suffering, you are continuing to work in our lives. You are continuing to move. And so, Father, I pray for those that are watching and listening today uh, that you, oh God, would just work in their hearts and work in their minds, uh, that they would know that even in hard times, you love them and you care for them and you're working in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to fill in the blank to this statement. The hardest moment in my life was when blank happened. What are you going to put in the blank? The hardest moment in my life was when blank happened. For some of you, you're going to say the hardest moment in my life was the divorce. It was the miscarriage. It was the car accident. It was losing a spouse. It was losing a job. It's having a boyfriend or a girlfriend break up with you. So there's one thing that we all share in common, whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian, is that we all suffer. Suffering is part of all of our lives. Uh, just, you know, as sure as we breathe, we all are going to suffer, whether we're followers of Jesus Christ or not. But there's one fundamental thing that marks us differently as believers in Jesus to those that don't believe in Jesus, and it's this, it's hope. See, we believe in a Savior by the name of Jesus who says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have trouble, but you can be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And it's our hope through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we don't suffer for all of eternity, uh, that our suffering stops when we physically die. And we go to heaven to be with Jesus forever in a place called heaven that is free of suffering. But in our lives right now, we know we suffer. And a lot of times when we suffer, and I suffer and you suffer, we will uh, get caught in a cycle of, of asking why questions. God, why did you do this? Lord, why did you allow this? God, why didn't you do this? You know, why, why didn't you answer the prayer this way? Why did you answer the prayer that way? Why did you allow this? God, why, 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 why? And, and here's the problem with the why question is I'm convinced you will never get an answer that will satisfy the why question. You'll just continue down that trail. Instead, let me ask a better question, I believe. And the better question is this. When we suffer, what is God doing in our lives? So when you suffer, what's God doing in your life? The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. It's a second letter that he's written them. And, and throughout 2 Corinthians, there's a lot of talk of suffering. Paul was a man that suffered in a lot of ways. 
And so he's bringing the church comfort. He's showing us how in suffering God works in our lives and how he comforts us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to notice how God is providing for us. And so I want you to see first the provision of God when we suffer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. What has happened in Paul's life that he goes over in verses 1 through 6 is that 14 years ago he received a revelation from heaven uh, that God called him up in a vision, God called him up in his body, in a trance, in a dream, but Paul was able to see heaven. Paul was able to see God. And Paul says here in verse 7 that, that God is doing something in his suffering. He's brought a thorn into his flesh. Now that thorn in the flesh, it's been widely debated what that could have been. And honestly, there's 12 to 15 probably guesses you're going to read by most commentators on what it, what it is. But basically, you could break it down into two categories. Uh, this could be a physical type suffering that Paul's going through. Uh, he tells in Galatians when he writes the uh, letter to the churches in Galatians that he has an eyesight problem. Uh, his vision's going bad, so that could be it. Uh, he may have malaria. He may have a fever. Certainly, Paul has been beaten a lot in his life, thrown into prison, so he could have some type of physical issue from all the suffering physically he's gone through. But it also could be spiritual attacks. Uh, this could be temptations that he's facing. Uh, we see also in 2 Corinthians a lot of opposition toward Paul. Uh, so there's people who are saying, hey, listen, you're not an apostle because you're suffering. You're not a follower of Jesus because you're going through these hard times. But we know that God has introduced this thorn into Paul's life. And did you notice why in verse 7 it said he brought it in? And here's the first purpose that God gives us in suffering. That God will sometimes strip away sin in our life to, to cause us to worship Him more. He'll, he'll introduce suffering. He'll allow suffering to strip away sin in our life to cause us to worship Him more, to trust Him more, to love Him more. For Paul, verse 7, it said, So from to keep me from being conceited, because of those revelations, a thorn was given to me. Now, there's a little tension in my mind on this because I would think Paul saw heaven. Wouldn't that make him humble? I mean, you know, he saw God. I mean, that would you would think that there wouldn't be pride in his heart, but there'd be humility. But what Paul's showing you is, listen, because I saw heaven, because I, had, I saw God, I'm struggling with pride. I'm struggling with conceit. I'm struggling with, hey, I think I'm better than everybody else because I saw heaven. And so God in our lives at times will introduce suffering. He'll allow suffering in to strip away what's causing us to, to not worship him. Now, I want to be careful here, though, because not all our suffering is a direct result of sin. There is times that suffering you go through is a direct result of sin. For instance, if you go out uh, tonight and you get drunk at a bar and you get behind the wheel of a car and you drive drunk and you crash into a tree, you crash into somebody else, you get a DUI, you get thrown into prison, you don't really need in that moment to pray, Lord, why'd you allow this in my life? 
You don't really need to pray, God, why am I going through this? You're going through this because quite honestly, you were an idiot. You got drunk and you decided it was a good idea to drunk drive. And that suffering is a direct result of your sin. But not all suffering is. There's times that God does allow suffering in our lives to strip away what's causing us to not worship Him, to love Him, to trust Him. And so that's the first purpose in suffering. The second purpose in suffering, and this is where our recording is about to pick up, is that God will often use Satan to defeat Satan's purposes in your life. God will allow Satan, to, to, He'll use Satan to defeat Satan and the purposes that Satan has in your life. Stop and think about it with me this way. In Paul's life, what's Satan's plan? Does Satan want Paul humble? No. Satan wants Paul prideful. Satan wants Paul thinking, I'm better than God, or I'm better than everybody else. I saw heaven. What's God want in Paul's life? Humility. In your life right now, Satan has a purpose, and God has a purpose. And Satan, in the middle of that suffering, wants you to walk away from God. He wants you to say, God, you're worthless. God, this isn't worth it. God, you're not worthy of my praise and attention because of what I'm going through. But God says, no, no, I want you to learn to trust me, to love me, and, and to see how I'm providing for you. So often God will use Satan against Satan to defeat his purposes that he has for you in his life. And friend, I thank you so much for watching this portion. Right now we're going to go to the message uh, that I preached there at Heights Baptist on a Sunday morning here recently. And we're going to pick right up with that point of how God will use Satan to defeat Satan and Satan's purposes that he has for you in your life. Thanks for watching. God bless. So in suffering, God will use Satan to defeat Satan in your life. So there is a messenger of Satan, a demon that has been sent to harass Paul. Now, stop and think of it with me for a moment. What would Satan's plan be for Paul? Satan doesn't want Paul humble. What would Satan want Paul to do? Be prideful, right? Isn't Satan the father of pride? So Satan would say, hey, Paul, in this moment of suffering, I want you to be prideful. I want you to question the character of God. I want you to question the love of God. Paul, in your suffering, I want you to declare that God is worthless and unloving. That's Satan's plan. Listen, for you today, in your suffering, that's Satan's plan. Because Satan has a plan for you just like God has a plan for you. And Satan wants you to turn your back on God when you suffer. Satan wants you to question his character. Satan wants you to question God's love. Satan wants you to turn your life from saying God is worthy to God is worthless because I'm hurting. But what does God do? And here's what's amazing what he does all through scripture. He uses Satan to defeat Satan. Because this demon that's been introduced into Paul's life, this thorn, this suffering, what's happening? Paul's not being prideful. He's learning humility. Stop and think of some other biblical examples with me of this. In the life of Joseph, many of you know his story, but Joseph suffered in a lot of ways and a lot of unjust ways. In the end of Joseph's life, it turns around, he comes out of that period of suffering, and then the Bible says this, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. 
How about in the story of Job? In Job's life, God uses Satan and his tactics to teach, you know, uh, to teach Job to love the Lord. So what we see in Job's life is Job not cursing the Lord, but loving the Lord all through the work of Satan in Job's life. How about this? How about Judas? Judas, one of the 12 disciples. John 13, 27, there at the Last Supper, it says that Satan entered into Judas. Judas gets up in the night of Passover and the Last Supper, he goes to the religious leaders. And he says, all right, you know what? I've had enough of this Jesus. I'm ready to betray him. They strike up a, tra- a, a price. Judas is paid 30 pieces of silver, tells them where Jesus is going to be. They go out, they arrest Jesus. They put him on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross, right? Whose plan was that? Well, Satan was using Judas. He entered into Judas. Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. And watch this. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Who does Jesus put to open shame by triumphing over the the victory of the cross and the resurrection? It's Satan. And who did Satan use to get Jesus to the cross? Judas. So in your life, if you allow God in your suffering, he will use Satan to defeat Satan's purpose in your life. Just like he did Paul. See, all of our suffering has a purpose to it. Sometimes it's to strip away what's blocking our worship. Sometimes it's just for God to defeat Satan and his purposes in your life to teach you to learn to trust him and to love him. But I want you to notice also God's provision for us. It has a purpose, but God also provides for us in our suffering as well. Pick up in verse 9. Verse 9, Paul says this, or excuse me, verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should, it should leave me. All right, so three times I prayed and I prayed, Lord, I, I want this thorn gone. I want this suffering ended. But I want you to notice verse nine. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love those verses. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, whatever causes us to pray in our lives is a blessing. Just stop and think about that. Whatever causes you in your life to pray, it's a blessing. Whatever is going to cause you to worship the Lord more, to trust in him more, to, to honor him more, to pray to him more, to talk to him more, at the end of the day, it's a blessing. And in our suffering, God is doing something, and God's doing something in your life right now in that suffering where he's providing for you. And so here's Paul. I prayed three times, Lord, I want the thorn gone. Take it away. And the Lord says, no. Nope, the thorn's staying, Paul. And sometimes those no's are hard to receive, but they're the best things for us. He says, no, it's going to stay. And then I love how the verse 9 begins. Notice again at the beginning of verse 9. Paul says, he said to me, he said to me, just stop and think about that for a moment. 
he said to me. The way that is written in the Greek language means it's in the present tense, which means it still stands. It's still good. And what you see there is a God that's close to us. It's not a God that's far from you. It's not a God that doesn't know you. It's not a God that doesn't love you. It's not a God that doesn't care for you. God is coming to Paul just as he comes to you and me, and he's saying things to us. He's speaking to you through his word. And so Paul says, he said to me this, my grace is sufficient. You know, that word grace is meaning unmerited favor. And when you stop and think about grace, the concept of grace is what just changes everything about Christianity. It's what separates Christianity from all other religions. All other religions, you have to earn your way to God. All other religions, you have to earn the love from God. All other religions, you have to do something to get the God in whom they are worshiping to pay attention to you. What is fundamentally different about Christians versus all other religions is this God shows us grace. All right, grace, we've not earned. Salvation, we've not earned. Love, we have not earned. This is a God of the Bible that exists today in your life that says, I'm coming to you. I'm not asking you to come to me. I'm coming to you. I'm meeting you in your pain. I'm meeting you where you are. I'm helping you. I'm speaking to you out of my grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, that word grace, it can speak to salvation, a saving grace. All right, when we come to Jesus Christ, we receive what Christ has done in order to be saved. We don't earn our salvation, but it also speaks to this. It speaks to a sustaining grace. It's a grace that keeps you going. It's a grace that empowers you. It's a grace when you want to quit that it activates in your life that says, keep going. You know, I love the Rocky movies. Big Rocky movie fan. There is one Rocky movie out of the six Rocky movies, okay? Now, there's six Rocky movies, and there's two new Creed movies, and the third Creed movie's coming out. I'm very excited about that one as well, all right? There's six Rocky movies. There is one Rocky movie that is completely horrible. It's awful. We do not talk about this Rocky movie in my home. You can't say those words, right? And it's Rocky Five. Rocky V is the worst Rocky movie out of all the Rocky movies. But as I was thinking about how to explain sustaining grace to you today, Rocky V popped in my head. Because there is a part in Rocky V that is absolutely amazing to me, and it explains what it means for God to give us grace to keep going. And here's what happened. Rocky's down on his luck. He has to move back to Philadelphia. And he goes into the old gym, the old Mickey's gym, where Mickey trained him in Rocky 1 and 2. And he's kind of standing off in the corner, and there's nobody else in the gym, and his clothes has been run down, and, and it's dark, but there's like a light that's just right over the ring. And so Rocky's just staring at the ring, and he has this flashback in the movie of a conversation between him and the old crusty manager, Mickey. And there in the ring, he's remembering this flashback moment where Mickey tells him, Listen, Rock, I'm not always going to be around, but I want to give you something. And Mickey takes off a necklace, and he holds up this necklace, and there's this gold necklace, and right at the end of the necklace is this little gold boxing glove. And he holds it out to Rock, and he says, Rock, this is my prized possession. Rocky Marciano once gave this to me, and I want to give it to you. 
And he says, and when you wear it, it's going to be a reminder to you that I'm always with you. And I'm just like a little angel on your shoulder, Rock. And when life knocks you down, and you get knocked down, and you want to quit, and you want to give up, then you're going to hear my little voice that says, get up, you bum, Mickey loves you. And when I was thinking about sustaining grace, and I was thinking, man, there's times I want to quit, and I get knocked down, and I want to say, is this worth it? And I want to just throw in the towel. You can hear in those moments God saying, get up, my son. Get up, my daughter. I love you. That's sustaining grace. That's what God gives you in suffering. The grace to continue, the grace to keep going. But I want you to notice third what God does in our suffering. Not only is he working out his purposes in our lives, he provides for us, but he has a plan for our preaching. He has a plan for our preaching. Pick up in verse 10. Paul says this way, he says, though I'll boast all the more gladly on my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, for the sake of Christ, I'm content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love that. Paul says, I'm going to boast. I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell people about Jesus all the more gladly because of my weaknesses, because of my suffering, because of the thorn, that the power of Christ may rest upon me because this is for the sake of Jesus. And I love how he ends it. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When, when I know I'm weak, then I'm strong. And listen, for some of you today, you have such an opportunity to preach, share the gospel, if you'll just look at it that way, if you'll understand that a lot of times pain in your life gives you the greatest platform to share the gospel, the pain you are going through right now can be the just greatest platform that you'll ever have to share the gospel. If you'll let God redeem that story in you, because as a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, you suffer just like someone else, but you carry a different level of hope. You're, you, you carry a different level of faith. And if you allow God to activate that and you'll share that story of your pain and you'll share how the Lord sustained you and gave you grace and how you overcame that or how you're working through that, then you can say, when I'm weak, man, he's strong because he's showing me that strength. And let me introduce you to this Jesus that I have all my hope in and all my life in, no matter whether it's going good or it's going bad in my life. I ran across this poem earlier this week that I, I really uh, enjoyed reading, and the author of the poem is unknown, but the title of it is, What I Asked For and What I Received. What I Asked For and What I Received. The author of the poem says this, I asked the Lord to make me strong that I might achieve, but he made me weak that I might learn to humbly receive. I asked the Lord for health that I might do greater things but he gave me more pain that I might do better things. I asked the Lord for wealth that I might be happy, but he gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked the Lord for greatness that I may have the praise of men, but he gave me weakness that I might feel the need of him. I asked the Lord for all things that I might enjoy life, but Jesus gave me life that all things I might enjoy in him. I got nothing I asked for, 
but everything I hoped for. God took me down that he might lift me up. This morning, I asked you at the beginning of our service to fill in that blank. The hardest moment in my life was when blank happened. And some of you put some things in that blank that are incredibly hard to go through. Some of you are still going through them. But let me just say it this way. The Lord is working. He has a purpose in that pain. He is providing for you what you need. And he has a plan for your testimony to be able to share that with others. When you are weak, the Lord is strong in your life. And so today, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, let me encourage you today to come to know Jesus as your Savior. Because you might have said today, as, an, as not a Christian, hey, here was the hardest thing I went through. You put something in that blank. But let me say this, just lovingly and caring to you, but also passionately, emphatically saying today needs to be the day of salvation. Because if you die without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, whatever you put in that blank pales in comparison to what you're about to suffer in hell for all of eternity. That that pales in comparison to dying without Jesus as your Savior. And so if you're not a believer in Christ, you need to come to Christ today to say, I need that saving grace. I know I cannot earn it. I'm ready to receive your love and your forgiveness. For those of you that are Christians, keep going. Let me implore you on that. Keep going. Don't give up. It's in these moments of pain, your faith will grow greater than in the moments of joy and bliss. It's in these moments you learn that sustaining grace of God. When you want to quit, you want to throw in the towel, you want to say he's worthless, allow God to work his grace in you to say he's worthy no matter what's happening. So this morning, for some of you, you need to come to Christ. For some of you today, you need to just commit, I'm going to keep going. And maybe today is somebody you know that needs that message of salvation. Take that to them. Share that pain with them. Let them know how God redeemed that story in you where you can say, when I was at my weakness, 